welcome to the Monday, actually the midweek main point. Today's Wednesday, it's uh, March 30th. Uh, I'm Jeremiah, I'm actually going to be playing uh, host. I'm actually just playing Jonathan today. Jonathan uh, is actually, it's spring break for all of DPS during public schools and they're using this time to go visit some colleges. So he's somewhere in Utah or Vegas or in between there somewhere. But uh, So y'all pray for uh, Jonathan, he's gone today. That probably means two things. The first thing, that this probably won't run as smooth as normal. And second, that this will probably be a little short. <laughs> That's what I was getting ready to say. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not going to be as long either. Um, just because we have one last person, and Jonathan just, he does a really good job of kind of running running host and oh, asking sure. questions, sure. driving discussion. Um, so he's not here. Pray for him. Uh, I'm Jeremiah again, and I'm, I'm joined today with uh, Pastor Blake. He's our children's pastor. And Pastor Jeff, he's our senior pastor. Um, and this Sunday, so... Uh, with the main point, we typically just talk about the Sunday sermon. This Sunday sermon was uh, uh, it was titled uh, "A Neighbor Nearby," and it's from Proverbs twenty-seven ten. Um, and I actually don't; I have that right here in front of me, so I'll read it. So it says, "Do not forsake your friend, or and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away." And um, Jeff just did a really good job kind of uh, running through. He's kind of doing a a small series on uh, his story um, from recent weeks, recent months, from his accident. Did a really good job of talking about how well the the church kind of took care of him during this time, but also asked some very good questions about, hey, what, what if? And he kind of started before he even got to any points. He started with this question. So I'll just I'll throw this. Well, I'll ask the question, then I want to speak for a second, then I'll throw it to you guys. So um, he asked this. He said, if your family lived far away, where would you turn uh, to then? So if your family lived far away, where would you turn to then? And he talked about me and, and Blake, and we'll talk about that in a second. But in my personal study, at the same time of this sermon, um, I've been looking at what the priests were in the Old Testament and how they sort of basically represent what pastors are now. And if you remember in the Old Testament, the Levites who were the priests, uh, they weren't given an allotted land. And I think that that was intentional by God because what would happen is, is then they were kind of required to live amongst the people. They were to spread out. And what that enabled is it was it enabled everyone to have access to a priest who who could give instruction, but also it enabled everyone to have access to the Word of God. Not that the priest controlled the Word of God, but there was less copies. It was less, less uh, kind of accessible. So if you could, if you could plant um, the priests out, out in, uh, they didn't have their own land. They didn't. They couldn't really stay with their own families. They would go to different areas, and then people didn't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem to get to them. Um, and so I just I've been thinking about that, and that's kind of what we've done. All of us as pastors uh, of Rosa Sharon is we've implanted ourselves outside of where we grew up, outside of where our family is. We've we've made ourselves available to to the help. And so 
Um, we're going to kind of give our perspective from from us as pastors, but also I want to talk about the rest of it as a whole. So I'll throw this this question again to you guys. If your family lived far away, where would you turn to then? Yeah, so right here in um, Durham, I'm about uh, two and a half hours away from here in Durham. So like Pastor Jeff said in the sermon yesterday, you know, my family's probably the closest maybe out of all of ours or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. probably the closest out of all. So I'm lucky in that uh, respect, but still two and a half hour, you know, it is still a little bit of an inconvenience, you know, if they did need to come yeah. uh, for them. But um, so obviously, you know, there's a lot of times I'd rely on my church family, you know, like if I'm going to the airport right after church or something, you know, I'll have somebody from church go. Um, um, I know a couple of years ago when uh, they banished everybody from the school because we were going home from COVID, we had some nice members here who uh, kind of took me in, let me live with them for that summer until we could go back. Um, and also being in school right now, I also have the privilege of uh, having church community, but also having some uh, seminary community as well. And now, obviously, the church is your main community. That's where you want to be in the family of God. At you know, seminary community is not like a replacement for that kind of community. But uh, right now, I have friends there and here that can uh, kind of be that brother in times of need. What uh, kind of like how Pastor Jeff was getting at yesterday. Yeah, and for me, you know, I could look at my life two ways. Uh, before I became a Christian, where I, you know, because when I graduated from high school, I went to college, then after college, I went to Atlanta and from Atlanta to Savannah. So I've always lived away and have, for, for the vast majority of my life, been a single adult. Um, so, um, and before I became a Christian, then I really didn't have a huge support system where I was living and working. Maybe a co-worker might could take me if my car broke down or something. Um, I had some fraternity brothers that lived near me when I lived in Atlanta that, you know, we hung out. We, we were there for each other if we needed something. But but other than that, I mean, um, I would have to get my mom or dad or somebody would have to come to where I'm at if I really needed, if I had an emergency and I needed something. I didn't really have a support system. Uh, but then once I became a Christian, you know, living in Savannah, when I became a Christian, then that's when a new support system opened up and I had more people in my life um, that that we were there for each other. We started like a singles ministry there and, you know, we were there for each other for a lot of things that people go through, like if somebody was in the hospital or something like that, we kind of took care of each other and we were there for each other. So, so the church family, to me, I mean, it is important to, to have those neighborhoods, but like Jeremiah was saying, if you're not geographically anchored in a location for a good part of your life, you really don't have neighbors that you know or kinfolk that you have nearby. And so um, so it's so important then for us to rely on the church, but then it's important for us to help our church people see those that live here in Durham that they can be that neighbor for people, even, even though they're anchored here, there's other people that don't have the anchor. And then also think about all these people moving in and out that they really they really need to other people to be part of their support system yeah. and i think of some of my friends too over at seminary you know they don't really have the privilege of having family close kind of like how you know mine's kind of within driving this i know one of my friends you know his uh um his mom's kind of got cancer out in oklahoma right now looking to move to arizona for treatment and i think of uh, my first roommate we're pretty tight you know his family's out in colorado you know these people have um, they've got no family. Well, and even so, some of your seminary buddies probably don't even go to church anywhere. Right. Well, they don't really have a church home, but they're not connected. 
and Especially they're bouncing around or going places, but they're not really involved. And so if you don't have that, that church family, that, that's really a big gap in your life. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I would argue uh, where we feel it, Karen and I feel it. I definitely felt it, and I'll get to my, a little bit of my story, my recent story in a second. But where we feel it really um, is you know that old adage or that old statement uh, that it takes a village to raise, raise a child. Well, Karen and I, where we are, we didn't have a built-in. I mean, we have one, but it's so far away in Oklahoma. Uh, so like when all I have a bunch of nieces and nephews and they all go to my mom's house for for child care. I just and we just we don't have that that built in like family village. And so uh, what's happened and uh, shout out to Gina. I'll probably talk about her in a little bit. But the whole Wilkerson family really uh, has kind of adopted us as a family. And they've been that really close neighbor. I mean, both in proximity, but also with the church and uh, their sons being my age and, and all the all the things that you kind of would, would hope for in a family. And all of this kind of, so the whole sermon kind of runs together. Uh, there's only two points, which uh, they were very easy points to, to grasp. First point was we all need a support system of family and friends. And uh, I would just argue that that's just a true statement. Everyone needs it. Um, and then, so kind of point two is more on the practical but before we get to point two, um, I just want to go ahead and bring up the fact that everyone, we would argue, needs this support system, but I don't think everyone has it. Right. And I think our church and, and churches in general, I think, are a great support system. But the whole sermon, I think, from Jeff's perspective was to get us our thinking of what if you don't have family? What if you don't have church family? What then? And those are the people that we as the church should be going to and being that good neighbor. Right? So what do you think there, Blake? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree, you know, with us. Uh, I think with that comes intentionality on our parts. We have to kind of, in order for pe- to see people's needs around us, we have to get to know them. You know, we have to branch out, kind of like Jesse, get out of that comfort zone a little bit, you know. Work through our fear and just go and just uh, be, you know, be a neighbor to our people. So I think it involves some intentionality on our parts and getting out of our comfort zone a little bit. I think with a, especially as like a Western Christian, an American Christian, we we have a strong idol of comfort. And, you know, we don't have like, you know, statues and like, you know, uh, uh, image, you know, images we bow down and worship. But I think comfort is one of those. And really, I mean, people are, they're longing for community. I mean, I think I think a lot of people like you said, they do have that need. Everybody has that need for community, and it's a great way to witness to somebody, you know, to show them what Christ-like community is like. Are we always perfect? No, not at all. But when we're not, you know, we come and we try to work things out. You know, we should be that different kind of community that people people look at to go be, you know, the witness of Christ, you know, to say the witness and to be the witness of Christ and be the witness for Christ. So. I like that question. And that's kind of like the point I was trying to make when I talked about the family and friends was then I included when Jesus, you know, with his family uh, coming to get him because they thought he was out of his mind. And and he's teaching people and he's pouring into people. And they're like, your mom and your brothers are here. And he goes, 
No, those and he points to the people in the circle around it. Those that are willing to do my will, you know, they're they're my brother. And so Jesus adds this new dynamic to this truth, this universal truth, which everybody needs it. But this is a this is beyond that. This is something greater than just a family and a friend relationship. That, that now you're part of a bigger family, and it's kind of funny when the first Sunday I came back, uh, I came back. Um, uh, I was especially going to work on that Monday, and so I came to church just to sit and and worship. And uh, so, so Zoe, which is Jeremiah's little girl, she comes walking down the aisle because I sat in the back because I wanted to get up and stuff like that. So she sees me, she comes walking down here, and I thought she's coming to hug my neck and all. She had this huge smile on her face, and like I'm like, "Hey, Zoe!" And she walked right by me and went to Mima, which is Gina's mama, which is basically her grand grandmother figure, and I'm like, okay. So she, I thought she was coming to welcome me back, right. but she was going to me So I, I thought it was a good. It was kind of funny, but it, it illustrates the point that Jeremiah was making is that that somebody had to step in and be a grandmother figure, grandfather figure. Somebody has to be there, you know, for for our church family, not just our staff, but we have other people in the same boat. Uh, here that come to our church yeah. that maybe their grandparents live somewhere else or their their mom and dad live somewhere else and then we even got people in our church whose their children and grandchildren live far away and so you would think that they would want that for them too so it's just, it was just a way of kind of getting us to not look at ourselves and kind of look beyond ourselves and, and about the neighbor thing when I did get hurt uh, some of my immediate neighbors and all they would saw me and they saw me with the walker and people coming to get me. And so, you know, it was just more or less, yeah, I had to have surgery and all that other stuff. And I had a couple of them help me a little bit, but there was no real, uh, none of my neighbors came to my door and like, hey, is there anything we can do? Or, you know, bring me food, things like that. And quite honestly, I probably wouldn't have done the same for my neighbors because I really did, didn't know them that well. And that got me thinking about, well, why do we want to know our neighbors? And it's not that we want to go know our neighbor in order to have another relationship. I think a lot of times we, we have so many friends and people in our life who are like, I can't put another one on the plate. But if I go and make contact with my neighbor and make a connection, then if I'm observant later on, I say, hey, they're needing somebody to help them carry their groceries in, or maybe they're out there with a walker. I can go up and say, hey, I noticed you're, you know, did something happen? Or, and so it gives us that opportunity then to to have that conversation and maybe even introduce them to Christ or to the church without, without trying to uh, manipulate, a, a, manipulate uh, a, a fix where you're trying to orchestrate where I can, I can get something to happen where I can go and then make contact with this person, kind of like a, 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 a project or something like that. It's not about that. It's just saying, hey, I'm here, you're here if you ever need me. You know, give me a call, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's what we missed as a church, and a lot of it's because of our culture. Because it used to be when I talked about my life growing up, it was community, and then you had family, and the extended family. Then you had your neighborhood and the people you hung out with and played with, and then you got involved in churches. So it was all kind of like together if you're in this one geographic area where it all works together. But but even now in our cities, it's not like that anymore. I mean, neighborhoods really don't exist. It used to be the neighborhood 
revolved around the church and the church activities and the schools and their activities in the community. Um, so we've got to be better about trying to, um, in our geographic area where we're located in our church uh, location, try to be a neighbor for the people nearby us. And whether they ever come to Rosa Sharon or not, you know, we'll never know that, but at least they would know that, hey, this guy cared about me and I need to go to church somewhere. Yeah, and let's not forget, um, sometimes the call to follow Jesus means that you'll lose your support system. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. you, you might lose point. your family, you might lose some, some strong friends you have. Not that we're saying that when you become a Christian, you have to abandon your friends, but as a result, you may not be willing to do some of the same things you were doing or you don't follow the same God that your parents now did. But, um, and so sometimes uh, the, the, the call to, to follow Jesus or, or the, the, the choice to follow Jesus necessitates you needing a new support group. And, and so that's why, for me, this, a lot of this ties to what Jonathan was teaching in uh, the book of First John for, for the previous eight weeks. Um, because a lot of what John was saying was very practical, but it seemed to suggest, not seem to suggest, it does suggest that we need to take care of those individuals in the church first, and then the, the, that should overflow into your community, that they see your family, they see your love for one another, and they're attracted by that. And so um, I think, you know, taking care of new believers, giving them that, that new support system, uh, maybe younger believers or uh, believers that have have uh, been misplaced uh, from their families um, uh, due to a job or a call to ministry or whatever it may be that the church and I, I really do think and Jeff gave so many good examples of and I, I want to just talk about one person uh, because she's on my mind right now but Jeff gave so many good examples of how well the church took care of him um, I wanted to, to to shout out someone and her name, and I'm super proud of her. I love her so much, but her name is Tori. Mm-hmm. So the reason I bring Tori up is I was thinking about it this morning. In every one of our situations, Tori helps us out a ton. And you're like, well, how does she help? She's literally helping Jonathan right now. Jonathan, like I said, he's traveling. His whole family's traveling. And she is watching his dog for him. He didn't have, you know, he doesn't have mom to watch the dog. Uh, And so she's going there to watch the dog. And uh, what's really on my heart right now is when I was going to have the heart cast, we had to be there like 6 a.m., something stupid early. Well, the problem with that is, is I have two children and I I had to take my wife in because it, it could have been anyone, but my wife wanted to be with me and she wanted, she had to drive me home. I had to have someone who could drive me home. And uh, so we're like, oh, what do we do? Well, our first thought is always call on Jonathan, Jeff, or Mm -hmm. or Blake, because I know y'all are always willing to help out. Um, But then my second thought is, well, Tori, Tori's really available, and she's helped us up a ton ton in the past. And what she did was, is she actually came and stayed at my house. So she gave up a night, stayed at my house. And so when we left at 6 a.m., my kids could just stay in bed. Mm -hmm. And then when they woke up, she got them ready for school. She took Malachi to his school, and she took Zoe to preschool here with her. Um, and that was just super helpful. And uh, I know she's picked you up from the airport, and uh, you gave her a shout-out, Jeff, in your sermon for 
picking up uh, packages and, mm. and bringing. Uh, she probably brought you food. Groceries, know, yeah. Groceries, food. Anything like a package here that was delivered for me or Eileen or uh, like sometimes when I get groceries, she said she would just drop by on yeah. her way home. So. And I mean, I know I'm just highlighting one person, but these things just aren't, to me, they're not that big a deal, but they mean so much when, when someone's just so willing to be that neighbor, mm-hmm. to be that, that yeah. person close by. And Tori's like a daughter to me, maybe even a sister to me. Um, she's just been that way for a while. And so when I'm hearing this sermon, I'm like, I'm thinking of, man, Tori's that support system. Another person for me, I know I already mentioned the Wilkerson's, um, they, I mean, they've done so much, but like, you know, those tragedies when your car, you, the, you get, you find yourself just in a mess and having that reliable autumn, uh, the mechanic that just is going to pull all the triggers and he's just so fast. I mean, Ronnie Wilkerson, he just, he reminds me so much of that servant. That's just a neighbor nearby that, that is willing to help, uh, wherever he can, just that whole family. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, not that I want to highlight individuals, but I wanted to say that it's just not that hard to do things for people. Those are things that you, you naturally do for people you love. Now we've got to, we've got to bridge the gap or, or jump the gap of, I need, to, I need to do these small, simple things for people that are geographically close mm-hmm. to me. And how can I do that? And Jeff mentioned something that uh, I've used, I'll be honest, I've used it as an excuse. Um, he mentioned that in his in his townhome, there's so much turnover, and in Durham, I, I'll be honest, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. There's just everyone's moving in, everyone's moving out. But I just don't I don't know if 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 that's a great excuse. I know I've used it a ton of times because I live in an apartment and the turnover rate is even worse <laughs> in an apartment. I've used it because I finally feel like I'm building a relationship with somebody and they move out and mm-hmm. and I. A lot of times, I just took too long to build that relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm a very introverted person. Um, I'm a very private person. I feel like other people want to be like me. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I feel like it. I feel like... And so, I think the most practical advice we could give is maybe not in the geographical location. You should try to do that. But in the in the locations where you are being a good neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the two main... Well, the, the one main place for most individuals is is either in school if you're young or it's in the workplace if you're old and just trying to figure out how can I be a good neighbor how can I be that guy if they don't have anyone else they can call on me I'm available and I think that's a that's not something you can just say with your words I think people can can gravitate towards you and learn about you like hey when I was in trouble this person like it takes time to build that kind of reputation, but I think that's I think that's where you should kind of focus. If you're if you're a student, you should focus in your schools. If you're uh, uh, if your work, uh, you should focus in. And I have another place where you should focus, but I think y'all talk about that. I've talked to them. Yeah, um, one thing is is uh, just to think about that for a moment is uh, a lot of times we and we all say it is if you ever need anything let me know mm-hmm. I mean, i'll say that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and we and we mean it yeah and so and then i found myself like when i was in need i felt like i had people a lot of people say let me know and i almost felt like well i don't want to impose on them or i don't really want to ask 
you know, but when I had a real need, I was like, well, I'll just put the word out there. If anybody can help me, they'll help me. But a lot of people will never even ask the person. Like if somebody says, if I told somebody, hey, if you need anything, let me know. And they have a need, but they never tell me, then I'm not going to do them any good. And so uh, I, I, I talked about Judy that time when she texted me and said, do you need anything? And I said it was Valentine's Day, but I was thinking about it this morning because I knew we were going to be talking. It was actually my, my wedding anniversary. It's when I was, you know, I got I had the surgery on the ninth. My wedding anniversary was the 15th. Mm. So it was like six days later, and I'm like in pain. I couldn't really move. I was stuck downstairs all the time. And she texted me and said, do you need anything? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. And it was like right after that, I'm like, no, I, I think I do need something. So I text her back, say, "Hey, it's our anniversary's coming up. Uh, if y'all really, if you really want to go help me and do something, then just go by Harris Teeter, get me some flowers." And uh, somebody else was bringing us. Uh, I think Terry was bringing us dinner that night, so we had our anniversary dinner. Uh, he was super too, and uh, and she said, well, "What do, what, do you, "What do you like for dessert?" And I told her that uh, uh, we like that pumpkin cheesecake, and they actually had one. And uh, so she did that for me. But if I would have just said no, then I would have sat there and I'm like, wouldn't have asked her and kind of like that would have robbed her of that blessing being able to serve us. And that's the whole thing we got to look at it too, that that um, sometimes people want people want to help us. And it's a really a blessing to do that because when I help people, it's really a blessing. And, you know, you tell people, no, it's no big deal. You know, I was glad to do it and all. You really mean it, but it really makes you feel good. I mean, you know, but we don't do it just to feel good. But there is that benefit of it that we're being part of the body and we're encouraging one another and we're helping one another. So I just want to encourage people, if you're listening, um, if you do need help, let somebody know. Um, Because, you know, we are available if we can. Now, there will be times when it's impossible and you can't do it and all. But most of the time, if I can't do something, I can find somebody that can help. And so I just want to encourage people that. And then um, the other thing while we were talking, too, is um, the importance of life groups. So basically what happened to me is I had life groups and their organizational skills of getting food and taking care of each other, which they do all the time. Then they actually was like a... Uh, life group on steroids I had a lot of people you know were bringing us food and all where, where Joy kind of like uh, organized it but it was like Frank's group and y'all's group and uh, Steve's group and uh, some people from CITA and so it was, it was mainly those other groups that came in and you know really got it together and that helped me see the importance then of life groups because what happens on a regular basis here at our church, and we really don't know about it a lot of times, is these life groups are taking care of each other. Mm. They're taking food to each other. They're giving rides to the doctor. They're doing all these things. And um, so if you're not in part of that, you're, miss, you're missing the support system that could be part of your, your um, uh, work. work yeah, I mean, to too. be honest with you, no individual who's a member of a church should not have a support group. Exactly. You know, like, there's Very no true. excuse for not having a support group. And so that's why, um, well, I could go in deep into the weeds here, but it's so important to, to Kara and I, just as individuals, that our church family be that support group. And that's why I think we promote it so hard. 
Um, you take care of your own. And so when people, that's the first thing. When people come, we have a lot of people who come and they need help or want help. Uh, they're asking for money sometimes. They show up. The first question I ask is, well, have you asked your pastor? Have you talked to your church? And obviously that's a little bit slanted, a little bit, it's kind of messed up question. But I want them to, to, to understand that, look, the church takes care of their own. I know that if I ever have a bill I can't pay, it's paid. Like, I I know I have a thousand, well, not a thousand, but a hundred people I could call right now and they would do whatever they I, I needed because because of my relation. Just it, it, I may not even have that great of a relationship with that person as an individual, but because we belong to the same community, the same church, there's just this general understanding of we, we take care of each other. And so you have you have no excuse not to have a support system. I think Jeff's right though. I think sometimes we just don't we don't ask. And you hear a lot of times of well the pastor didn't come didn't come visit me or uh, uh, I needed I needed something I needed groceries and no one was there to, to pick them up and and we're sitting there like I was available that day I didn't get a phone call we didn't even know we didn't know you needed help. And so, and that's not on us. I think some people think that, well, that's just because communication is not good up there. Well, no, it's, if you don't tell me individually or call the office or get a hold of me, and that's why it's important that, like, you have our cell phone numbers. If you need us, just contact our cell phone. Don't try to email. Don't send it by word of mouth with somebody else. Don't send a letter. Please contact our cell phone numbers because we're available and we want to be there for people. Um, and that's how life groups work. Um, they do. They, they do things for people. I know when I was in the hospital, I had, I had people outside of my life group. But by and large, it's my little community of, at this church. That's the ones who contacted me, who asked if I needed anything, who said they were praying for me. There were others, and I'm, I appreciate the others. I, I love those others. Uh, but I know that my little my my life group in particular, they they look after me, and so be a part of a life group because that's the best place to get that support system. Yeah, um, uh, Blake, anything? Yeah, I, and you know, I I don't want to use like super super strong language, but we don't want you to you know rob yourself of an opportunity to uh, um, be served. You know, we as pastors, you know, we don't want uh, to be robbed of an opportunity to serve you if you do need something. You know, we don't want you to rob your life group of an opportunity to serve you if you need something because we want to be the body. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, but we got to know, too. Yeah. I think uh, I think what you said is very correct. You know, it's it's not on us if we don't hear about it. <laughs> you yeah, know? and just think so, about... Sorry to, no, to no, cut you off, but ahead. just think about the spiritual gifts. How many of the spiritual gifts make no sense if you're not helping other people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're, There's literally probably people in the church... That if they're if they're not serving, if they're not showing compassion and mercy and those types of things, then they're literally not getting chances to practice their spiritual gift. Right. The thing given to them by God right. for this one purpose of of helping others. Uh, I think most of us in this room as pastors would say that our primary spiritual gift is something closer to teaching or leadership, um, uh, or maybe discernment or wisdom. Uh, those types of things. Um, and so to be fair to just the church as a whole, that God gives gifts to every individual who's a believer, 
there's some people who want to serve. I, I, I hate to throw out names, but there's, th- there's people that I call on when I, when I need something, when I need service, when I need an item, and you guys know who they are. A lot of them are deacons. I'll, I'll call out the deacon ones. I know I call on Tommy. I call on Tony. I call on Mike Meyer. And I know we started naming names. I don't want to leave anyone off. Uh, Ronnie Wilkerson, he's not a deacon right now. Chet, like Jeff Jeff mentioned. Those people, I, I know I can call on them, and they're going to be those servant-hearted, just, hey, whatever it takes to get it done. Uh, Frank's one of those. Frank's just like, uh, do you need do you need money? Do you need resources? Do you need people? Which I believe people are the greatest resource. Uh, people helping people. I think that's the greatest resource. And so there's in this church and in other churches you have no excuse but let's move let's move to the kind of more practical thing uh we've already kind of, we've already hit on it quite a bit but really the practicality for the church is how do we take what we already have in the church and move that outside of the church both as individuals and as a church as a whole and so Jeff's second point was really all about that. It says we all need a support system of nearby neighbors, meaning that you need someone that's nearby that can help you. But my thought is, is we should be that neighbor. And I kind of want to end on this, but I want to talk about the, the Good Samaritan. Uh, and we'll talk about it later. But before we get there, Jeff had these really cool statistics about Durham. Uh, mainly the thing that that was talked about the uh, the most neighborly cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were number twenty twenty two. And, and Blake, you've only been here two years. Yeah. What what would you say before you moved here? That that what would be the reputation of Durham? Um, crime. Uh, uh, Duke fans. You know, I mean, just like, <laughs> but like, I mean, just it, yeah, they're not very neighborly. Yeah. No, very neighborly at all. <laughs> but uh. Hey, it, um, from the outside looking, I grew up in rural North Carolina. Coming into a place like Durham, I'm thinking, like, that's not a friendly city. You know, it's like stuck-up city people over there, you know. Would probably have been, I mean, in all seriousness, would have been the um, would have been the mindset. But coming here and getting involved with the people, there's a lot of people who are very, very friendly. And especially the ones that, uh, you know, you would think going in who might not look like you, talk like you, sound like you, they can sometimes be some of the friendliest people where you wouldn't have expected it. And so it's a, it's very eye-opening, at least for somebody who uh, um, would have never, I mean, two years ago, I said I probably would have never gone to a place like Durham to pastor. And sure enough, I get a call from Jeff McCarthy about two weeks later. <laughs> and so it's a, you know, it's a very friendly city. I love, I love being in this area. I love being in this area. Yeah, it's odd. It's odd because here's, I've only been here, what, nine years? This is my ninth year, I think. Yeah. Here's, here's kind of what I, where I've landed. People who grew up here think it's awful. Mm-hmm. People who move here think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that has to do with, like, you already have your support system, you don't need outsiders to come in and help you. Right. But those who are moving into Durham, I think they realize, I need my neighbors. And so because they know they need neighbors themselves, they're better at being neighbors to others. And I really see this in my apartment complex in general. Now, there's, there's uh, especially when drugs and alcohol are involved, right. things get weird, right? And, and that's bad. I, I hate that. But in general, they're very friendly people. I, I know one story. It's been a long time, probably five years. 
But I showed up at home, and I was bringing food to the family at the time. It was just me and Kara eating, but Malachi was already born. And uh, I brought some Little Caesars home. And I'm pulling up to my house, and there's stairs, so everyone has to kind of go to the same spot yeah. to get into their house. And this guy pulls up, and he's walking up, and he has a Taco Bell pack for his family. Yeah. And both of us look at each other and we're like, oh, man, I chose wrong. Because <laughs> I was like, his looks good, smells good. And so what we did was I, I was like, I'll trade you a taco for a piece of pizza. And we just swapped. Oh, cool. I got, a, I got a taco. He got a piece of pizza. We got a little bit of both. And that was just something so basic and simple that and, and, and those people became decent friends. Of course, they left shortly after. But we became decent friends with them. They knew I was friendly. Um, sometimes people in our complex will knock on your door and be like, hey, dude, you got any salt? You got any sugar? We're out. We don't want to make a trip to the store or whatever. Those types of things happen. And in Durham, I think in general, there's a lot of people who like to do uh, um, like feeding the poor and, and things that are outside of themselves in Durham. Like uh, what is the – there's one I was a part of for a little bit. Um, they feed like 200 meals. Oh yeah, I know you're talking about. Uh, I think it's just y'all did it for like the <clears throat> y'all we did, did it, that too. The youth yeah. group did it for one of the mission weekends. But in general, I, I know I've talked too long on this on this particular subject. But I think in general, like I said, the people who grow up here who already have their support system, they're like, I don't need outsiders. But those that really see they don't have neighbors, they realize they need to make neighbors and be that neighborly person. I think that's why we we made the list at 22. Yeah, and that, that it really surprised me because I didn't even know the list existed. And I'm doing this sermon, and I don't know if I got a, a news feed about it or if I Googled, you know, uh, neighbor neighborly cities or something. Uh, I can't remember how I came across this, but but it was 2021, and yeah. there Durham. No, I think it was a headline from the News and Observer because Raleigh was number nine. And Durham was uh, number 22. And I'm like, wow. So I, then I looked it up to figure out what the criteria and all was. I mean, it said 79% of the people said they did at least one favor for their neighbor. Um, they hung out with their neighbors at least a few times, 62%. Um, 66 have two neighbors they can depend on, like water my plants or, you know, watch my dog when I'm gone, check my mail. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a lot of neighborhood stuff going on. But in practice, a lot of times we put on our mind that, oh, Durham's not a friendly city and nobody's being neighbors. And maybe we're the ones that we go to our church, we go home, we shut our door, we cocoon, and we're the ones really that aren't being the neighbors. And we get on the news and, and see there was another shooting. Yeah. So like, we lock the doors and we... But you're so, not out there doing anything about yeah. it. And so, so really what this really surprised me was that... Um, you know, there's a lot of people then would be open for a friendship, relationship, a neighborship yeah. kind of thing. So that, so that in my mind, if I shut the door on my neighbor thinking, well, that neighbor wouldn't want to have anything to do with me, maybe they really would. And so we've got, as the church, we've got to quit shutting the door on ourselves and just take the step and say, hey, introduce yourself. And just, if, if you don't do anything else, just say, hey, I'm here for you. If you ever need me, I'm your neighbor. Just let me know. And if nothing ever comes of it, you know, no big deal. But you never know when something, they, they may be a calamity or a problem or 
instance where they're going to need some people to be there for them. And that's why it's important to, to have those relationships so that you can be there. Because it is talking about a calamity where you couldn't get to your house, your, your family's too far away. Yeah. What are you going to do? And that's why Solomon's like saying, you better have a support system because it's better to have a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Yeah. And actually, uh, the, the greater context of, of Proverbs 27 is all about that, that support system, that, those relationships. And there's mm-hmm. parts of it that talk about it, it's better to, to have your, a rebuke come from a friend than it is to have like being made fun of from from an enemy, mm-hmm. basically saying that your support system is also there to for correction. Right, right. It's not just for when you need help, right. but it's there for correction. And in that same chapter is the is the popular verse, uh, uh, iron sharpens iron, yeah, so, iron so that man iron. sharpens a man or yeah. a person sharpens the, another a man person. That has friends, but show himself friendly. There's a friend that gets closer than a brother. That's a yeah. So that's all. And then I use the Ecclesiastes about you know one by yeah. himself, the three, two, the three. So I mean, it all goes back to creation. Like I think I talked about that earlier in the first point. I guess is God created us for relationships, and if we don't develop them and we don't have them, we're really missing out on something. Yeah. Ultimately, relationship with Him. And then subsequently, relationship with our, our, our mate and our relationship with our extended people, which are our family, our friends, our neighbors. And we have to have these relationships because we can't, we can't survive without relationships, really. Yeah. If we didn't have a support system, I'm telling you, it would have been very, very difficult for me. You know? And to make matters worse, Eileen would have probably had to quit her job and be there for me. And then that would have created a financial uh, problem as well. So it would have compounded the problem that I was facing. It would have been yeah. a calamity on top of a calamity. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I think uh, I like what you said too about like it's good that you know you're, you have a system to where your close friends can kind of lovingly rebuke you and sometimes because I know, uh, you know, obviously in the middle of it, you're never really thankful for it. But looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you are thankful for it. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm thankful for my friends who have, you know, when I've been angry, said probably something I shouldn't. They're like, hey, look, I know you're angry, but maybe not look at it in that light or something like yeah. that, you know. Um, and, you know, with uh, um, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, I am thankful that, you know, we do have that system. And that's something, too, that, you know, is so important for a church family, like, you know, we can lovingly correct each other, obviously using the Scripture um, to support that because the Scripture is good for rebuking. And yeah. nothing like uh, shaming people or guilt-tripping people, but lovingly uh, stir in the right direction. And I'm thankful for church family and seminary friends and Christ-like community who have kind of pushed me into because it's pushed me to be more like Christ. And I'm, obviously I'm thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> so. So another, I mentioned work. Uh, we've talked about in our neighborhoods what we can do. Um, another, I, another thing Jonathan kind of likes to talk about, uh, and he's right, is us as Christians, we have our work, and man, we work 40 hours a week. And I know we're asking a lot of our volunteers and people who work in the church who, who also have a full-time job. I talk about this with Kara all the time. I'm like, she, she works a full-time job, and that helps support our family, and I'm super grateful for that. But I also tell her, look, you can't work so much to where you're not also serving the church or serving Jesus. You can't let that be an excuse. 
uh, and we'll, we can cut back your hours. We need to do whatever we need to do so that you can, you know, walk in your relationship with God. Um, but on top of that, we also do like things like hobbies and a, a really big thing. And actually, I'm a pretty big proponent of everyone should do this. Everyone should go to a gym or at least find some sort of physical activity to do, whether it's golf or tennis or going to the gym or swimming or hiking or taking a walk or whatever. Um, but if you if you go to a gym, maybe think about finding a gym that's more of a community or, or just a hobby that you do that's more of a community that you can be a part of and interact with because uh, community is just so big. Our, our culture loves community. They want community. And it's a good way for Christians to impact our neighbors and, and be in community. And so, um, yeah, I know I kind of uh, took us further back. I want to go back to... So we talked about Durham being a neighbor, neighbor city, neighborly city, which is, I think that's true. But I think I, I think I have some friends who grew up here that would just think I'm an idiot for even bringing that up. Like, no way. We're not the most neighborly city. I, I think we are. But then under that little heading, you, you also gave some research as to the three excuses for not being a neighbor. First excuse is this. Uh, it says they can go to heaven through their different religious beliefs. That was their first excuse. Yeah, for not engaging For someone. not engaging someone. Because you just... And, and that's... If that were a true statement, that's not a bad excuse. Because you're just like, I'll, I'll let them find their own path, right? But the problem is, is that's just not even a Christian statement. That's not... I mean, if, you, if you're one who... Will, if but you, it's coming from Christians. They're called Christians. Yeah, they're called Christians who... Who are giving excuses for why they don't they don't interact with their neighbors, uh, meaning geographical neighbors? But uh, yeah, I mean that, the the problem with that statement is just just not a true statement. They won't go to heaven through their own religious beliefs. That's not what we believe as Christians. And so, if you're one who uses this excuse, this is the worst excuse in the list. I mean, they're all pretty bad, but this one is like, I mean, this is awful. That was the number one excuse. Though. That was the number one excuse. Is is yeah, is they, just they the assumption. It's all religions. They everybody has their own belief, and they're gonna make it. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. I mean, the yeah. the amount that's wrong with that statement for Christians. I mean, because I think I think you think when you make that statement that you're being a loving person, but in all actuality, you're just allowing people to go straight to hell because you somehow believe that they're gonna make it without Jesus. That's just not Christianity. That's, and I'm not trying to be mean or, or make Christianity sound harsh, but the, the, the sad reality is, or actually it's the good, positive reality is, is that Jesus is the only way and he has made the way. Meaning that's good news. We actually have a way to get into heaven, but it's only through Jesus. And the book of Romans says there's no other name by which we are saved other than Jesus. And so it's only Jesus. Uh, John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. No one comes to heaven except through me. And so that's just, if that's the number one excuse for not being a neighbor, first off, it's a, a, just a straight lie. Quit using that excuse because that's not Christianity. And I would just, I know I'm kind of getting out of soapbox here. I would just, I would caution, <laughs> even if you think this, I would even caution maybe you're not a believer. Mm-hmm. Because that's just that's so far off of what Christianity is. If you believe well, that, well, the culture tells us everybody should have their own religion, and 
don't impose yours on on me and that and the culture saying we're all children of God and we're all going to make our way and so what's right for you is good what's right for me is good and so we should just go live our lives and nobody should try to engage us in the conversation to change us yeah I mean they they, they quote freedom of religion yeah and I learned early when I was reading about freedom of religion it also includes the freedom of religion also includes the freedom to change religions right meaning that you don't it's not it's, you're not stuck allowing people oh they're Muslim I can't engage them right. because they have the freedom if they want to to change their religion well, and then what happens to people if they really think that way then okay I'm a Christian and I'm going to church well I'm not going to really go be a friend to my Mormon friend I'm not going to be a friend to my Muslim friend that moved in even though his kids like to play with my kids I'm not going to be a friend to the atheist down the street I'm not going to be a friend to whatever just fill it. So, so I'm, 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 I'm a Christian. And I'm protecting myself and my beliefs by not going and and, and befriending this person. Whereas we should just befriend them anyway, regardless if we ever tell them about Christ or anything. Just to be a good neighbor, a good person, we should be a friend to them and say, "Hey, if you have a need, I'm here." Yeah. Regardless. And so, it's really convoluted, you know the. The thinking. Well, I mean, it's just. It's, it's not. It but doesn't surprise me. You think you're being a good neighbor at that point, and I'm telling you straight up, no. no. You, what's happening is, is those people will die and go to hell, and you yes. are the worst neighbor you could possibly be. Mm, and it's true. because you were probably just ignorant. Yeah. Because if, like I said, if you actually think that they will go to heaven apart from Jesus, you're so wrong. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's not. Jesus is not, ex- I mean, he is exclusive, but he's not trying to exclude people. No, he's inclusive and in anybody can have anybody an opportunity can to come to God. But it has to be through him. You and can't if just they find your own grew path. up a Muslim, but they're here and they're working with you in your cubicle or whatever, you might be the one that God's going to give the opportunity where you can present Christ or even present a witness that might get them thinking about Jesus. And if you can find your own path to God, then why in the world does Jesus come yeah. at all? Yeah. I mean, why does he die? Why even worship Jesus? Mm. We don't need him if I could just get there on my own. Mm. All right, so that's sorry, soapbox. <laughs> excuse good. number You're one, good. hot garbage. All right, <laughs> the next two I think are real excuses, and I think that people really do struggle with them. Mm. Um, and so the second one was uh, we shouldn't impose our beliefs on others, and that's that's like that's just a quote from culture. Yeah, I mean. Right. I talk with a lot of people. They say, well, I don't want to be pushy or, and you know, they fear being pushy and they, if in all honesty, they let fear drive their evangelism life. You know, they don't want to be seen as bad or come across wrong. Like share the gospel and trust that the Lord's going to do something with it. You know, it, you know, there's a way to not be a jerk, believe it or not. You know, you can just go and just talk with them, see what they believe, converse, just tell them what you believe and, you're happy, you know. Having a conversation with somebody is not imposing something onto them, you know, because the conversation you care about what they have to say. That's important to care about what they have to say, and if you care about what they have to say, it's very likely that they're probably going to care about what you have to say. They might not believe on the spot. Um, they might not ever believe. They might come to faith on the spot. You just never know. But um, the Lord wants you to. 
tell that story. You know, tell like Jeff said, tell your story. How you become a Christian. Tell them how you can be a Christian. The way, not a way, but the way to go to heaven. And you know, there's there's a way to do it, in where you're not imposing. And so I think that's a, I think that's a lie, straight from Satan, um, to hinder the spread of the gospel. Because uh, when we're crippled by fear, we've we're losing that battle. Or well, allow, allow ourselves to be crippled by fear. We've we've lost that battle. But the um, in Second Timothy one seven it says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and sound judgment. So just remember that. Remember that that He's not giving you a spirit of fear. And if it's fear, it's not from God. So you know it's either from your flesh or um, the enemy. So just to, and I think when you think about uh, imposing to, I think uh, it goes back to what is your motive then. For engaging this person if your motive is to engage that person so that you can present the gospel so that they can uh, have a chance to hear hear about Christ and you've got to do it and they're your project and you're not going to really listen to them you're not really gonna be a friend with them you're just doing this to get to that point where you can then tell them hey this, I've got to tell you this or give you this try then that's the wrong yeah you are imposing so you don't approach it that way you just like just go get to know somebody as a as another human being, and as as the friendship develops or as the neighbor develops, then uh, things get revealed. It's like uh, when Jeremiah was talking about playing golf and stuff like that, finding a hobby. A lot of times, when I would go play golf, uh, I would go by myself, and then I would team up with somebody. They usually would put you with somebody, even with me and Chet, and we would play, and you know, just being out there, and then. And Chet learned it playing with me too. Don't don't lead off with I'm a pastor or we got to just let them be themselves. And then if, it, if it's brought up, then all of a sudden it gives you a better opportunity to talk to them as opposed to leading off like, hey, I'm your neighbor and uh, I go to church. I want to get you to come to church. And uh, could you keep your music down too? And I noticed you've been throwing some beer cans on the ground. You shouldn't be doing that because you know you shouldn't be drinking. And stuff. Then yeah, you're imposing your beliefs. Yeah, that's the wrong approach. But to say, hey, I noticed you guys just moved in. You got some kids. Uh, you know, I don't have any kids, but man, we got this children's ministry at our church. They meet on Sunday nights. If you want to go, sometimes, um, you know, we'd like to invite you. And you know, I'll, I'll even go with you to church. I'll, I'll pick you up and bring you. That kind of thing. So it, it's just your different approach to it. I did. Yeah. And if they say no, they say no. Then you don't keep pushing them. But if somebody knows you're a Christian and you're really sincere about it, if a calamity comes in their life, you may be the door they knock on and say, hey, I just want to let you know my mom died. Uh, and you can say, hey, you know, I'll be praying for you. Because I've had that to several people where I just said, look, if you ever need anything, you just let me know. And I've had fraternity brothers and others that uh, would call me and say, hey, man, I need to talk to you. Me and my wife's about to split up or... You know, somebody just died, and it gives you the opportunity then to minister to somebody that, that without you know trying to impose your views or if they think you're imposing, you know, it's just your approach, I think. And that's a, um, I did a uh, class on evangelism, a virtual class on evangelism, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to get on a high horse here too with uh, uh, just relational evangelism versus like door-to-door evangelism. And I'm not knocking door-to-door evangelism. If you're doing that in a great way, great, keep doing it. But relational evangelism, I think just you have so much, so many better opportunities 
to share the gospel, to be Christ-like, to build that relationship. And people, when you're doing relational evangelism, that first word with relational, like you got a relationship with this person. You know, they're not a project to you. Um, and I mean, to, to kind of bring it on our subject, yeah. be a neighbor to someone, even though they may never become a Christian. Ever. Yeah, just be a neighbor. Just be a neighbor. That's <laughs> the the command in scripture is not be a neighbor until just they become a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. It's just be a neighbor. Yeah. That's true. And and I think I think we're saying the same thing. I mm-hmm. think relationally that is better. So it's hard to geographically build those relationships. I get it. Think about when you if you if you like me, at one point I was not family at Rosa Sharon. This was not my family. Even when I started here, this I was not family. People right. didn't trust me. They didn't call on me for help. I, you have to build up those relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to, it grows over time. Some people say it takes five years. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but, I mean, it's tough sometimes. It's tough. And so, yeah, so that was the second uh, excuse. It's not really an excuse. Uh even though uh, people in our culture would say you shouldn't impose your beliefs on others, they still do it to you. How else do you grow and learn if, if you don't hear other people's perspectives? Right. It just really doesn't make much sense to say that. You wouldn't have any beliefs if someone didn't kind of instill them in you. Yeah. Or I mean, I mean, a lot of things, we, we, I guess we grow on our own, but I mean, it takes a village for, for really everything. Third one, and then I'm going to add my fourth one, but the third one is this. The Bible tells us not to judge others. <laughs> and I, I, want to, I want to hit this one because yeah. I think the problem here is, is Christians in general focus too much on people's sin and not enough on what's actually called the good news, right. the fix for people's sin. And if you stop, if you stop on people's sin, mainly saying, "Look, you're a sinner. I saw you drinking. I, I saw your beer cans. You're living with your girlfriend. Uh, you're a lesbian. Whatever it is, whatever that hot topic is, every time you see that person, it becomes about that sin and judgment. That is judging others. Yeah, that's, that's what judging others. Is. Because if you if you talk about sin, and I think you should, that's part of the gospel, but it's not the gospel." Just getting people convinced that they're sinners is not the gospel. The gospel is how do we fix this? What's the what's the what's the fix for your sin? What's the cure of, of the, the problem? That's the problem, sure. And it's way bigger than any one individual sin. It's huge. And it you're desperate. You need Jesus, right? And so sorry, I, I know I took that one over. Uh, and y'all y'all could talk there. The Bible tells us not to judge others. Well, like, you know, when I have that conversation with my friend. Um, yeah. From that conversation, I could judge, if you want to use that word, but I'll use discernment. I discerned that he was far from God and more than likely didn't have a relationship with God. Didn't mean I didn't like him and didn't want to seem to come to know Christ or at least have a conversation with him further down the road if I ever got that opportunity. You know, so, so this whole judging thing, um, if we don't judge, if we don't discern, then we're never going to talk to anybody. Mm. We're just going to assume everybody's good. Everybody's saved, and so why even talk to them? And I think that's the biggest problem we make with people. You know, we, we look at them, they have nice homes, they, you know, they seem to have it all together, and we go, well, these people have it. Uh, I've made a judgment then. They don't really need me to talk to them or engage with them or try to share Christ with them. I've already made the decision that they probably know him. Yeah. 
or if they do, they don't really need him, or if they don't, they don't really need him. They got everything they need, and so, so this whole thing about not judging, we judge anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, and you can you can make a judgment that ah, they're good. They're yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, you we, can make it both ways. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what that passage is getting at, what you were already saying, Jeremiah, is that uh, it's like the judgmentalism, like the practice of being just so condemning and like just bad news without the good news. You know, like we, like we, you have to judge things. You know, you have to judge whenever, um, whenever you should uh, come to a stop in your car at the stoplight. You know, you have to judge. Um, you know, if you're trying to turn right on red, if another car is coming, you know, there, we judge things all the time, and there's no sin in that. You know, we have to, you know, like, and I think discernment's a great word to bring in too. You know, we have to discern. You know, yeah, this person, you know, their fruits don't say that they're a Christian, and but that doesn't mean that we go, you know, beat them over the head with the Bible or anything like that. And sadly, some Christians have seen that as an opportunity to do so. I don't think that's the right response. It's to go and love them and talk with them, you know, befriend them. And just, you know, they might already have this perception that Christians are harsh and super judgmental. And they, you know, they might that might be genuine in their lives, but maybe you can go and you can at least be one who's not. Yeah. You know, your goal, you know, be faithful, but show that not all Christians are going to be like that, you know. And they can say, well, you know, I've been treated bad, but this guy or this girl over here, he's actually, I can tell he's, he or she is legit in his or her faith. Yeah. So that's the three uh, that this little, uh, I, I can't remember who you quoted. As, I think that's uh, Barna. Barna probably, yeah. I wanted to add another one that I think is probably the most, the one I hear or don't hear, but you kind of feel the most in, in some Christians. And that's, uh, they don't deserve it. Mm. They mm. just don't deserve it. Mm. And then I'll add a fifth one, because it's kind of the same, and really these two kind of encompass both of them. But they don't deserve it, and Jesus is not really worth it. Mm. Jesus mm. is not it's really worth big. it. Not my time, my effort. He saved me, I'm good, hellfire insurance, whatever you want to call it. But really, it's they don't deserve it. And that's why I wanted to bring up Jesus' whole parable on the Good Samaritan. Because I don't want to, I can't read the whole thing. It's a, it's a lot. Uh, but you'll, you'll find it if you want to read it in Luke 10, 25 to 37. But the whole thing is, is the guy comes up to him and, and says, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus quotes the Torah. Um, and he quotes also his own, uh, like, summation of the law yeah. you should love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself then the text says seeking to justify himself the guy asks well who is my neighbor mm-hmm. and jesus gives the parable to kind of describe the neighbor and then at the end he says so which one was being a neighbor and the man's answer is pretty profound he says the one who showed him mercy mm-hmm. that's a quote from the text in verse 37 of, of luke 10 he says, the one who showed him mercy. And so when I say the fourth one is, they just don't deserve it. Well, guess what? You didn't deserve it either. No, not you at just all. don't. They didn't earn my, my gift to them or my service to them. They don't deserve it. They're not. So, and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when ministry gets tough, you, your mind goes to those places like, why am I wasting my time helping this person again? Right. And it's really your whole excuse is they don't deserve my help. They don't deserve me. They don't deserve it. 
But you've got to remember, you didn't deserve it either. Every That's time right. someone's helped you, you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And yet God has shown mercy on you. And he's had compassion on you. And I think that's just so key. And so the question is, you know, is Jesus really worth it? Who are you doing it for anyways? Mm-hmm. You're doing it for your neighbor, sure. But really, you're, you're being Jesus' ambassador, his hands, his feet, right? And so is he really worth serving? And you should have asked that question before you. That's called cost of discipleship right. or, or, yeah. or counting the cost, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you should have asked that question before. Is Jesus really worth it? But even as a believer, is he really worth it? Should I serve him? And don't get in this mindset of they don't deserve it. Because well, it's and, just not Christian. And I see that a lot of times when it comes to refugees, in all honesty. Uh, but Or anybody who's here illegally. You know, they're like, well, they're here illegally. Oh, a lot of that's some, sometimes just judgmental. Oh, yeah. Just and preconceived notions of who you think they are. Right. They're here illegally. Uh and, I mean, so many stereotypes. If they're from the Middle East, you know, they're like, well, you know, I wonder if they have any. I mean, I'm just being what some hardcore, you know, people think, you know. You know, I wonder if they're involved in terror or if uh, Hispanics over here, you know, if they're helping with the drug crisis or something like that. Well, you don't know them. You don't know them. Go befriend them, you know. And, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Jesus was a refugee in his early ministry, in his early life, you know. Um, but, I mean, we don't ever, you know, bash Jesus for being a refugee. But when we see them, I mean, you want to, and going about to, you know, people who don't have any community here. I mean, I remember um, I was dating a girl a few years ago, and she was doing her practicum here in Durham at Duke University, and she befriended some people from India. I mean, they're from India here studying at Duke University, and they have no, uh, no community. Their community's on the other side of the world, you know, and they're here. They're studying abroad, um, but even refugees. I had a privilege to go into some uh, Syrian refugee crisis. Like, if you've seen what these people have seen, you would be a refugee too. I don't want to see what they've seen because it's probably so horrific that you would have nightmares for um, days among days. Um, Those are the people that so many people tend to hate on, but that's a huge ministry opportunity right there. Huge ministry opportunity, and you know they have this idea they don't deserve because they're here illegally. Well, we're not primary citizens of America anyway. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know, our our we belong to Christ. We belong to Christ, and we just have this almost. I mean, I would almost say sometimes this hatred towards the idea of them being here, and that is not a fruit of the, should not be fruit of believer one bit. Yeah. I mean, the point is, you know, they're here. We'd rather everybody be here legally and go through the system. Right. But in the situation we're in right now, if they're here, why doesn't the church then, let's try to reach them. Right. If we can reach them, then they become Christians, and then their lives are different, and then their eternity is way different. But if we, um, you know, we'd rather all they all would follow the rules. Right. Um, it's just weird because a but lot if of they're times, here, they're here. I mean, what are you going to do about it? A lot of times with refugees, it's like we, we want them to assimilate. Yeah. And it's like we, you want them to assimilate when it comes to uh, culture and uh, language and how you dress. But you don't want them to assimilate to your God because you, mm. you never focus there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want them to assimilate. Uh, you you act like that that's last priority that religion the religion of America which I know I, I put that in air quotes 
because y'all can't see, but the religion of America, we, we, we leave that last. We want them to assimilate to our culture, that that's more important, that they came here legally. And I, I get it. They should come here legally. But if I'm a refugee, I'll be honest with you. If it's true refugee, I'm, I would be willing to leave this country illegally yeah. or jump into another country illegally. That's what true refugeeism right. is, yeah. right? Is mm-hmm. is running from something that's yeah, I mean, so look at, bad. Look at Ukraine. I mean, yeah, you got millions of people that have crossed the border to escape death and destruction. Yeah, you know, families and all they had to leave their families, and the men go back to fight, and a lot of the women even went back to fight. But and no one would say that's immoral. Maybe it's illegal, but I'm telling you, there's a situation where I would do the same. I yeah. would I would jump into a country illegally to get away from disaster and and wreckage, right? But that's a, a kind of a topic for another time. Right. Just don't see. Uh, we, we're at the like 108. Uh, we went longer than Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> well, not <laughs> quite. I don't think yet. But uh, any any last things y'all wanna you wanna add? Throw on this. I just, in some, I mean, love people. I mean, be a neighbor. I mean, really. Yeah. Lo- I mean, just seriously, love neighbor. people. Don't, let the gospel be your priority. Living There's, out the gospel be your priority. And put all others aside and realize that people are here and you need to love them. It doesn't matter if they've grown up well, and for years. Be encouraged that our city is, out of 100 major cities in America, we're number 22, that people really are looking for neighbors and want want relationships and want want that so that that's encouraging to us yeah. as christians because we so often think uh i think the reason we use that word imposing is we're thinking the person's thinking that we're imposing on them so we've kind of used use that uh as a way of saying this is what we think that person really thinks but we never went over there and knocked on the door to get to know them so we know how don't know how what they think yeah so all right. What do you preach on next week? Well, I'm going to talk about um, the Hebrews passage about forsaking the assembly in yourselves. I'm going to talk about, you know, that whole gap when I wasn't able to come and meet together and kind of what I missed. Okay. And I'm using verse 24 and 25 from Hebrews 10 to kind of go with what I actually missed yeah. out on but not being able to be together. All right, cool. So a little teaser. And, uh... Yeah, this has been another episode of the Midweek Main Point, and we'll catch you on the next one.